This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm going to read to you, unless you have a Passion Version with you, I'm going to read from John chapter 16 and verse 33. And everything I've taught you, this is Jesus speaking, and everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled a defining moment, a defining moment. In John chapters 20 and 21, it's an interesting situation because, um, Joe, can you just pull us back a little bit? We find the disciples at an interesting place because the disciples find themselves between two two points. Jesus has just died and has been resurrected, but he is also about to ascend. And so they're caught in this this paradigm right at the moment, and they're, they're trying to have a look at where they find themselves, and they're trying to make sense of what's going on in their life. And it's an interesting situation because if you've ever had a book and you read the end of the book, you cheated. The thing about reading the end of the book is you know how it ends. The thing about it is, if you go back to the very beginning, the characters still have a whole bunch of paragraphs to go through, a whole bunch of sagas to manipulate and to make their way through, a whole bunch of chapters that end up between the opening and the ending. The thing about it is, we've all had the opportunity to read the Bible so we know how it ends. And sometimes we don't realize that when we read something in a context, there's things happening in people's lives right at that moment where they don't know what the end result is. They haven't got to the point. They haven't got to the end of the story. Something's happening in the disciples' lives right now because they were walking along innocently along the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden Jesus said, come, follow me. And they said, sure. And they gave up everything. They gave up their career. They gave up their life. They gave up their families. They, well, they're still involved. But they, they moved away from everything that they'd known, everything that was established to go and follow Jesus because Jesus said, come with me and we're going to do something incredible. And they were committed to that. And they invested three years of their life because this was the Messiah. And we knew he was the Messiah because everywhere he went, lives were touched environments were transformed, people were changed, people were healed, demons were were released out of people. Things happened. We knew he was the Messiah. We knew that he was the anointed one because all kinds of things happened in every place that he went. And then all of a sudden, there was a strange anomaly which came into the whole mix where the next thing we know, he tells us that he's going to be crucified and die. And it almost felt as though the wheels came off everything horribly. Because everything that we were committed to, everything about the Messiah coming to redeem his people, the the Messiah who was here with us, who was to introduce a new kingdom, all of a sudden he tells us that he has to die. And we saw him die. But then he was resurrected. So things were okay. We're back on track. It was a little bit of a wobble. Everybody got a bit of indigestion. But all of a sudden, it seems like things are okay once again. But then we find ourselves in a place where he says, actually, don't get excited because I'm not staying with you. I'm leaving. And everything that they've spent three years working towards seems as though it's coming to a crashing halt. Circumstances and situations seem to be in conflict with everything that they've been preaching for three years. How do we continue preaching the kingdom? How do we go about preaching about the, the Messiah and salvation and opportunities available for mankind when the Savior is about to leave? And they find themselves in that situation where they can't understand what's going on. They're uncomfortable where they are. They're not able to make sense of it and give definition to what the future is going to look like. And it's a little bit uncomfortable and wobbly. And if you read chapter 21 of John, what you find is a whole bunch of them said, well, let's just go back to our old life. 
We'll go back to fishing. Life isn't always easy. And one thing I can guarantee you about life is you're going to have a few curveballs. It would be easy if I told you it was going to be one, but it's not. They're multiple. Curveballs come with life. And in that space of a curveball, I'm trying to make sense of where I am and I'm trying to understand and get to a place where I'm able to assimilate all of this information and my circumstances and my situations and the promises of God and where I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to live by faith and how I'm I'm supposed to be victorious in this situation and how I'm able to walk through it so I realize what God has made available to me. And all of the stuff is being processed and synthesized and I'm sitting realizing that God loves me and God offers me grace and yet I find myself staring at a wall and I don't know how I'm supposed to get through it. Been there? It's called a curveball in life. You see, the disciples found themselves in an interesting place because they knew Jesus of Galilee. They knew Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. They knew Jesus, the Messiah. But they were about to be introduced to Jesus, the Savior, and the Lord. It changed everything. You see, I could walk around, on, and we went everywhere with Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus, the Messiah, was the one who went and healed the sick. Jesus, was, the Messiah, was the one who went and cast out demons, who turned water into wine, who fed the 5,000, who told us to go and get coin out of the fish's mouth because we need to pay the taxes. That was Jesus, the anointed one. But he was introducing me to a whole new paradigm called Jesus, Savior, and Lord. And the reason Jesus, Savior, and Lord was a whole new paradigm for me was because Jesus, Savior, came to pay the price so that what he could do is he could come and he could cleanse me and he could create a space where Jesus, who was Lord with authority and victory, could move in with his life. And all of a sudden, I was introduced to a whole new paradigm called Christ in me, the hope of glory. It was something that they didn't realize. It was something they didn't understand. It was something that was foreign to them because I was used to Jesus being outside. I was used to Jesus doing all of the stuff. I couldn't see how it was going to work with Jesus not being here because I was in the process of being introduced to a paradigm called Christ in me, the hope of glory. Everything changed. And I had to start all over again because I got used to following him. I got used to knowing who he was and how he walked and how he wanted to go off and pray. And he did his own thing and I used to follow him and I took his instruction and I took his direction. But I was always there with him. And now I have to learn something new because he may not be here in the flesh, but he's inside of me. I have to learn a new way of living, a new way of walking. A new way of experiencing the anointed one. We're natural creatures. And because we're natural creatures, there's an inherent expectation that we're able to navigate our way successfully through life. There are some realities to life that don't need deep spiritual complex understanding, they're pretty easy. If you want to get a license, go to a driving school. If you want to have cereal in the morning, take a pick at what you like. Really, I don't think God cares whether you have Rice Krispies or cornflakes. Cornflakes. Rafa cares. What I'm trying to say to you is this. As natural people, it's important that we develop our skills and our ability to operate effectively in the natural realm. Develop your understanding. Develop your knowledge base. Develop your skill set. Move to a place where you're able to socially engage with people. Understand what it is to, to move to a place where we can interact with the world at a level where as natural beings we can be successful in that place. That is good. It's healthy. God's created us to be that. In some way we often create this, this complex situation of black or white. You're either spiritual or you're natural. Here's a deep revelation. You're both. Okay? So it's okay. The thing about it is we need to be at a place where we are effective and we can operate effectively as natural creatures. The thing about it is God wants to walk through life in partnership with us. Because you're going to understand that at 
the end of the place where you recognize that I no longer am able to move into that space. I recognize the full extent and the limitations of my own abilities. At that place, I'm introduced to grace. Grace is what meets me at my terminal point. Grace is what sits and says, you know what? I know you can do this in the natural, but through grace, I can take you five steps further. That's what God does in our life. That's where he wants to meet us. That's what grace is all about. Grace is about taking us and recognizing who we are as natural creatures and sitting saying, it's not just about natural, but there is a supernatural component to it. I want you to be effective as natural people. I want you to exercise wisdom. I want you to walk in favor. I want you to have understanding as to how you engage with life. But they're gonna become places in your life, points of encounter, challenges that you come into where you're not gonna have the capability You do not have what it takes to be able to overcome that. And at that point, you suddenly come face to face with something called grace. Grace says, I'm going to take you over. Grace says, I'll get you through. Grace says, I'll get you to the other side. But I've got to know how to work by grace. Grace is wonderful. Grace is a great expression of the love of God for who we are as individuals. But the thing about it is, how do I walk the grace walk? There is something to it. There is something to recognizing what it is to live by grace. God loves us and God extends grace to us. But that still doesn't mean that I don't have a role to play in partnering with him. You can't do it. The first rule of grace is recognizing that I don't have the capability to be able to do the things that God can do. And so I live from a place of trust in him. But there is a place that he looks for us to be able to partner with him. Walking out our grace is not always easy. And it is going to be demanding. And it does require something of us. And I want to talk about that today. Because in some ways we talk about the, the life of faith. And I'm a big believer in the life of faith. And every Christian should be living by faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. The thing about it is faith is not just a get out of jail free card. Grace is not something and faith is not something that I just get to walk and live my life however I want. And the moment I find myself in a complex situation, I just pull out my faith card. If you haven't discovered that yet, you will. And so I want to know how to do it. And so I want to get into the school of spiritual discipline. The school of spiritual discipline. I celebrate his love and I'm thankful for his grace. But now I want to discover my responsibility and how I can partner with him so that I can walk out and realize who he is. Do you know what the ultimate objective of grace is, uh, of faith is? To know God. That is why you have faith. Because faith I can tell my kids I love them all day long. But nothing is as effective as when I go up to them and give them a big hug. You know God loves you. But there is something quite different where you begin to realize and know who he is when he touches you through your circumstance and situations. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't only know he, touched, he loves me, I know he loves me. He wants you to know how much he loves you. And so we get into the school of spiritual discipline and I begin to realize that I have a responsibility to begin to discover who is he. I don't have the prerogative of defining who God is. God is a living entity. He's a living being. He wants to introduce himself to us. I meet people. I met somebody the other day and they talk a lot about God and I I appreciate their, their appetite for God. But the thing is, they have ideas about God that really are things that they've come up with. I can't sit and say this is who God is, arbitrarily. God has given him as his word and his Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can introduce us to who he is. 
in my discovery, I want to find out who the Father is. I want to know what he's all about. I want to discover who Jesus the Christ, the anointed one is. I want to discover all that he's done for me. I want to see the vastness and the expansiveness of what grace encompasses so that it starts to color for me a life that I can begin to step into. I move to a place where I recognize the value of meditation, that point of intimacy where I get together with the Holy Spirit and I sit and say, I'm glad I've discovered those things, but you know what? I need for them to be unveiled to me. I need those points of revelation. I need inspiration to be injected on the inside of me so that the living seeds that you give me, Holy Spirit, engraft themselves into my life and begin to grow and take root. I want to get to that place where I've crafted the ability to have dialogue with you. And I move through life in a way that you and I share ideas I can talk to you and I know and I feel and I sense your interaction and your involvement and your contribution to who I am and my thinking and the way that I dis- and my disposition to life and how I handle situations. I've put myself in a place of learning, a place of discipline where it says, yes, I want to discover, I want revelation, I want communication. In this world, you will have some trouble. In this world, you will have some trouble. Part of the reason we have trouble is because we have abilities and efforts that have limitations. We are not God. And so there are some things that are going to confront us that we do not have the capability or the capacity in our natural ability to be able to handle. We recognize the fact that there, are some, there is something called a limitation in my life. There are points where I reach the fence and I sit and say, I can go this far, I can't go any further. And I recognize at that point that I've got a challenge in my situation. I've got, a, I've got a challenge in my life. All of a sudden, it's being redefined by something that I don't have the capacity to be able to handle and deal with. The thing about it is God is so different to us because God doesn't respond to our challenges and circumstances the way that we do. God lives by faith. God is a creative being. God doesn't look at a challenge and see something that's an an inhibitor to him doing what he wants to do. God moves to a disposition and God's attitude is change it. Why? Because he lives from a platform of transformation. Too many people live from a platform of conformation. Okay, so how do I, how do I adapt? What do I do? How do I embrace so that I can actually go through this and suffer the least amount of damage? And I hope I get to the other side. But God isn't that way. God lives from a disposition of creativity and transformation. He lives from an attitude and a place of change. God's not limited and, in, and, and um, inhibited by our thought box. Whatever we think of God is our paradigm of God. He's not limited to that. It's just our limited degree of understanding that we have of him. Never put parameters on God because he's so much more vast than we, who we are and what we're all about. Leave room for expansion. Leave room for growth because it doesn't matter how much you know about God. I promise you it's less than a drop in a bucket. Leave that. Never put parameters on God and sit and say, this is who God is and no further because he will surprise you. And sometimes he may even shock you. The happenings of life don't define God. God doesn't sit and say, I'm changing my plan because look what happened. God lives from a different place. And so when God speaks into your life, what God is sitting saying is, I know where you are and I know what's going on right now, but I need for you to understand that I've prepared a place for you. And the place that I've prepared for you and what I've made available for you is something that's going to change where you are and it's going to move you to a whole new disposition and a whole new plateau of living. But you know what the thing about it is? You can't get there without partnering with me because you're going to discover the fence and you're going to suddenly realize there's a limitation. And that's why God becomes valuable in our life. That's why we appreciate him because he introduces us to expansive living. I don't know how people go through life without relationship with God. 
for most people, my own ability is plan A. And when I reach the fence, I look for plan B, which is God. But when I don't have relationship with God, what happens after plan A? I don't know. Be courageous. You may have troubles. They're going to come. The curveball's on its way. The contradiction's about to confront you. But be courageous because I've overcome the world. Be courageous because I've overcome the world. We are not called to overcome sin, but we are called to overcome the world. Uh, Let me explain to you what the world is because I had somebody speak to me about it the other day. The world is not the earth. The world is not creation and what populates the earth or anything else. This This is what the world is. The earth is the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. That belongs to him. The earth and creation belongs to God. The world is different. When Adam sinned, what he did is he took his authority and he gave it to Satan. And when he gave it over to Satan, Satan assumed possession of that authority and introduced the world system. The world system is basically the kingdom of darkness and its expression across the earth. It's designed to steal, kill, and destroy from you. That's what the world is. That's why if you read scripture, in all parts of scripture, what it says is the world hated Christ. Why? Because he was the antithesis to everything that the world was all about. You are in the world, you're not of the world. Why? Because you're not part of his kingdom. When you read through the word of God repeatedly, you'll see that God very much establishes the world is all about that which comes to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But I have come that you may have life. We are not called to overcome sin. Jesus did that for that, for us. But you are called to be victorious in life. You're called to be victorious over the, over the world. That is what Jesus introduces us to. If you have a look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. I'm going to read it for you out of the Passion. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a living, becomes a heavenly treasure of a heavenly treasure chest of hope, filled with the riches of glory for His people. And God wants everybody to know it. It's Christ within you. What He's saying is, I'm wanting you to discover something. Christ within you has significance. Christ within you is important because Christ within you is going to introduce you to the glory that He wants you to experience. When He talks about His glory, what He's talking about is everything that constitutes the very nature of God. What He's saying is, I want for your future to be designed and colored by God's arrangement, by God's design. I want you to see it the way that God sees it. I'm here, Christ in you is here to, is, as a design to introduce you to what God's way of living is. And I want for you to step into that and I want for you to participate in it. Not only for your sake, because you become a living advertisement to everybody else. Christ in you is what's important. Christ in you is what's valuable. Christ in you is what's important because it creates a treasure chest of hope. What is hope? Hope says, let me show you what your future can look like. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at the problem. Stop looking at the challenges that are in front of you. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I want to show you hope. I want to show you what your future can look like. And so he's redesigning our future according to hope. You see, if you can't see your future, you'll cling to your past. If you can't see your future, you'll cling to your past. If you can't see your life with Christ in me, the hope of glory, I'll go back to fishing. If I can't see my life full of hope, colored by Christ in me, what will end up happening is I go back to what I'm capable of doing. 
I move back from the fence and all of a sudden I go back to effort. Let me go back to my control, what I can do, my capacities, my training, my understanding. God says, don't go back to where you are. The invitation is to step into hope. I want you to step into partnership with me. I want you to know that I'm committed to you realizing the fullness of what that hope is all about. If we have no hope in our future, we have no power in our present. If you have no hope in your future, you have no power in your present. Your, your, your hope for your future begins to color God's design for where you want to go. And when you spend time in dialogue with him, he's going to talk to you and he's going to say, this is the future that I have for you. And it's important that he speak that to you because his words carry weight and carry influence in your life. But when he speaks to you, what he's saying to you is, not only am I giving you a vision for where I want you to go, but my words carry within them. My words are spirit and life. My words are spirit in nature and they carry within them the very life, the very material necessary to make sure that that future comes to fruition. First John. Where was I? Where's my, where are my notes? First John chapter five, verses four and five. It's out of the passion. It says, you see, every child of God overcomes or continually conquers the world for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. The two things I want you to notice here. Our faith is the victorious power that triumphs. And it's available to those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Our faith is the victorious power. Being natural creatures, we go through life and part of what we do is we use our physical abilities to be able to read what's happening in our environment. And we synthesize that information. We have a look at what's going on and we process it according to our experience. We have emotions that kick in which say, fight this or run away from this. This is dangerous, this is okay. This is what you can do in this situation, this is what you shouldn't do. It's feeding to us all the time. Our history is speaking to us about, yes, it's okay, you can do this. It's possible you've done it before. Or you know what? Like my son yesterday, we're going to play the Cowboys. We'll never beat this team. And we, so we go in with a disposition of negativity, sitting saying, well, what's the point of even playing? Because they're going to beat us. We're synthesizing, we're processing all the time. What we're doing is we're using our natural stimulus, our senses to be able to feed into us. It's called our perceptions. We're perceiving what's going on. Your perceptions are the substance of your natural world. And it's calling out to your beliefs. The problem for us is that as born-again believers, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. What he's saying to us is, I understand that you have senses, and I understand that you're amassing substance called perceptions. It's a substance that's building up on the inside of you. But my invitation to you is this, don't conform to what's being built up on the inside of you. Recognize the substance and where it comes from. It comes from the world. Don't let that define who you are and don't let it define where you're going. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you a new substance to be able to overcome that. What? If you go into a place and I've developed a relationship with him, I sit down with the Holy Spirit and I say, this is what I'm facing right now. What do I do? And you listen for his words. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. What is faith? Faith is substance that is designed to be the raw material that God is going to use to make that hope a reality. And so I find myself at a place called a defining moment. Where's your belief going to go? Because I have perceptions which have got substance here. 
my perceptions have got substance and they're saying, will you give me your belief? Because if you give me my, your belief, this perception substance is going to define your future. But God says, I've given you a different substance. I've given you a substance called faith. It's designed to make sure that that hope that you've been looking for, that that future that I've colored for you becomes a reality. I'm giving you the substance to make it a reality. Where do you want to place your belief? And in that moment, I'm defining where my future's going to go. I have a choice to make. Things are never built without substance. Things are built with substance. If you go to the Colosseum, it is built out of bricks and mortar and stone and marble. And it stood for over 2,000 years. It was built out of substance. If you're anybody who's embarked on a career, you're going to build your career. And you're going to build it based on your knowledge and your insight and your intuition and your history and your knowledge and your connections. You're going to build a career out of something. You're going to build it out of substance. If you have a marriage, you're going to build a marriage out of substance. You're going to build it out of love and you're going to build it out of honor and you're going to build it out of respect and you're going to build it out of sacrifice. You're going to build a marriage out of something. You're going to build it out of understanding. Anything that we have comes about as a result of substance. In Philippians chapter 2, I think it's verse... Philippians 2 verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When it speaks about fear and trembling, it's not sitting saying, be anxious and nervous because of God. What it's saying is, come to the place where you recognize what Christ has done for you and come to a disposition where you have a healthy respect for all that Christ has made available to you because that's the place to engage. And when we approach it from that disposition, we to work it out. Work it out means to bring it to fullness to bring it to fruition or completion. Work out your salvation. I need some substance to work out my salvation. I need substance to get me to where God wants me to go. I need substance to realize the hope and the promises and the dreams that he's given me. How do I get the substance? If you have a look at Matthew... Chapter 17 and verse 20. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. It says, I promise you, if you have faith inside of you no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there, and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do. In the Greek... Mountains are symbolic of kingdoms. What it's saying is, if you have the substance of God in a small amount, you have more than enough to shift the kingdoms of darkness. I thought so, Rafa. God said it. But it's interesting because he, he says something that we kind of pass over very glibly but it actually is very consequential. He says, you don't need a lot. He says, you just need a mustard seed amount. You don't need a mountain to move a mountain. It's important for us because I think what it begins to do is it gives us an indication as to where we need to direct our energies and our focus. How is it that we partner with God? I think what he's saying is, I'm more interested in possession than quantity. Do you have it? Or don't you? That's really what he's saying. Here is the water. I am not in possession of it. And now I have it. What he's saying is, if you have it, you can make it happen. What he's saying is, I don't need you to grow it. I didn't ask you to grow it. 
That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm saying is, I will give it to you. The thing about it is, I've got to get the faith. And if I'm in possession of it, things will happen. Kingdoms will move. So how do I get it? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. It goes beyond reading your Bible. It gets back to intimacy of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because in that place, I've got to go into that space and I've got to sit and say, Father, you know what? I'm struggling right here. I've got to know how I handle the situation. I've got to know how I handle this COVID reality that's hit me right now. What do I do? How do I exercise wisdom? But at the same time, how do I live by faith? You show me what I'm supposed to do. Father, I find myself in a place right now where I've got a kid who's just unhappy and is struggling with depression and doesn't want to live anymore. I need your words to come into my life. I need you to tell me something about how I handle the situation. I need for you to come in and speak to me. Why? Because his words, his words, the spoken word, you need to hear it from him, are spirit and life. What he's saying is, if you hear it out of my mouth, my, it's, the form it's going to take is spirit. You won't hear it. But it carries within it life. He equates it to a seed. You're not so good about a seed. The life is in the seed. All you have to do is plant the seed and the life will do the rest. You don't need to get it to grow. You can't get it to grow. There are some things that are beyond us. God says, I'm never calling you to do something that you're capable of doing. I'm calling you to do things that only I can do because the life is in the seed. And if you can get that planted on the inside of you, it'll give you substance that'll make that hope a reality. He's going to give us seed. So I've got to get the seed. The thing about it is, I've got to get it planted in my heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does it mean? It means the moment that you said yes to Christ, he came in and Christ the Savior cleaned you up, got rid of all the old stuff and made you a brand new creation. And when he made you a brand new creation, Jesus, Lord, conqueror, Savior, victor, brought his life and put it on the inside of that place. Spiritually, you are a brand new creation. Christ in me, the hope of glory. But you live from your heart. Your heart is the center of your being. So how does Christ get into your heart? Christ lives in your heart by faith. Ephesians 3.17. How does he get there? He speaks. And when he speaks, my words are substance and life. What he's giving you is a part of who he is. And what he's saying is, I'm giving you substance. And when you live from that place, it'll change your way of thinking. It'll change your paradigm. It'll change your disposition. It'll change your attitude. It'll change all of who you are. Because I'm living from life, not from perceptions. I see things differently and I live in the expectation that the life that's growing on the inside of me is going to bring to fruition everything that he's promised. He just has to get it into the soil of your heart. Matthew chapter 4 gives us three reasons why it's hard. Number one, because you're not interested. I used to think people who weren't interested were people who weren't born again. But that's wrong. I've been quite surprised recently, just over the last number of months, Just talking to people about where they are and their disposition. Politically, about stuff. And I'm amazed at what comes out of some people. Because it's in total contradiction to the word of God. But they justify it to themselves. And when you speak to them and you say, but how do you reconcile that with the word of God that says this? What they do is they make an excuse. What I'm telling you is this. There are people who are born again that have areas of their life that the Holy Spirit can't touch. He can sow seed there. I don't care. I'm not interested. I am not changing. 
this is how I am, this is how I believe, and this is where I'm staying, and I'm inflexible. Religious people are like that. Religious people so many, many times have preconceived ideas and dispositions as to who God is and how he operates and what he's all about. And that's where it is, and this is truth, and I know it, even if you don't, and I'm not open to any kind of suggestion to the contrary, including from the Holy Spirit. Wayside soil. Wasting seed, because it's never going to grow. I have no interest in it. Stay humble. My encouragement to you is this. Stay humble. A humble person is a mature person. A humble person is a learned person. Because humility comes from a place where I begin to recognize how little I know. Anybody who says that they know a whole bunch and they're dogmatic about it, it says to me, you're just lacking maturity. Because life is so much bigger than any one of us, particularly the things of God. Always maintain humility so that at any point the Holy Spirit can speak into my life and sit and say, you know what? I know you really want to believe that. Honestly, it's not going to be helpful. And that's not my design. Be prepared to change. Be prepared to shift. Stay humble. I love it when people are emotionally enthusiastic for God and they want the things of God and that's a wonderful disposition to have towards him. The thing about it is sometimes what ends up happening is we're so emotionally charged that we really lack substance. We run into things and we gung-ho and we grab hold of this, that and the next thing and everything's wonderful and everything's hunky-dory but we have no sustaining value to us. The minute the first thing comes and slaps us around, it's like, okay, well that doesn't work, let's move on. How much do you want it? How much do you want it? This is where it really gets nitty gritty with people. What are you prepared to sacrifice to sit and say, I want that at all costs? I think the biggest reason that a lot of people don't walk into stuff is because of the cost involved and it's sad but I can tell you now some people think they're walking by faith but they're really not it's not a criticism of people we're all on a journey learning the thing about it is sometimes we really think that I'm so much further ahead than where I am and it's like I'm out here to conquer the world but you can't believe God for your shoelaces what I'm saying to you is this as we're moving through things with God it's okay To be at a place where it's like, you know what? This is where I kind of feel comfortable. Let him direct you. He's going to use wisdom. He's not going to put you out in the middle of the Atlantic and and sink your raft to sit and see whether you can walk on water. We grow in those things with God. Our faith doesn't grow. But understand this. Because God gives you faith for your healing doesn't mean that you can use that same faith for your provision. Every time I turn around, it's like, okay, I need you to speak into my life again, Holy Spirit. Give me what I need. Build your house on the rock. Have you ever built a house out of one brick? It's a multitude of bricks. Why? Because every time I turn around, he shows me something new. And he says, here's something new to add to your house. Here's something new to grab a hold of. You don't need a lot of it. Just one brick. It's okay. It'll move the kingdom. But I've got to get his words in everything. How much do you want it? Everybody in high school wants to be a professional sports person. Everybody in high school is like, I'm going to be a professional footballer. Do you know 0.008% of all high school football students get to play professional football? How much do you want it? Because over 99% are not going to get it. How much do you want it? 0.003% of high school basketball players become professionals. How much do you want it? 
Your chances of getting struck by lightning, 0.002%. Toss up between professional basketball player or getting struck by lightning. How much do you want it? Luke chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. Anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my, my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down and estimating the cost to complete it? How much do we want it? It belongs to the hungry. We want to be humble. We want to be hungry. The third thing that the Holy Spirit's going to have a look at in our heart is what else is growing up in there. Because when I hear his word, the thing about it is, he's not just the sower but he's also the one who tends to my, the garden of my heart. It becomes important because he can't just take that seed and sow it in my heart when I have things that are growing in my life which are in contradiction to what God wants to do. The problem with it is his word will begin to grow up. His substance will start to take form and manifest itself, but it'll get choked out by the fact that I don't believe that. And so... In a practical sense, it becomes important for us to be able to work with the Holy Spirit and we allow him to have access to our heart and to begin to reveal things to us where he sits and says, I want to put that into your life. The thing about it is I'm struggling a little bit because you know what? You bought this lie a little while ago. And so I've got to get this weed pulled out because if I don't, the problem with it is I'm going to tell you that you're healed and you're going to talk about the fact that you're healed. But as the seed begins to grow up, the fact that you don't think that you're worthy enough to receive it from God is going to come in and choke it out and you won't receive it. So we've got to be open to the Holy Spirit coming and working in our life so that he can tend to our garden. He can tend to our heart and sit and say, I'm going to put the seed in there, but I might have to pull some stuff out just to make sure it grows and comes to fruition and develops and produces fruit in your life. I'm trying to give you some practical steps to walk by faith. God is on your side. Be smart in going through life because we're natural creatures. Use wisdom. Exercise good judgment. Become knowledgeable. Operate out of experience. Those are healthy things to do. But always allow the Holy Spirit to have the predominant influence. You're going to come through places in life where you're going to recognize your limitations. And the fact that I'm not able and I don't have the capability to be able to get through this. And it's in that space where I recognize the goodness and the love of God. And I go to a place where I sit with him and we begin to talk about it. And I tell him and he talks to me. What he tells me becomes so important. And I value and I hold on to that. Because I recognize that that word that he's given me is not only designed to give me a view and a hope for my future, but it carries within it the very life to bring it to fruition. It carries within it the very life and the substance which he wants me to hold on to and utilize in order to walk into that reality. Generate a healthy and intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit so that he not only becomes the one who sows the word in your life, but he's the one who tends to the garden of your heart. Maintain humility. Nobody knows everything. Let him sow some seeds in places that perhaps have been very infertile for a long time. Let the Holy Spirit pull out some rocks so that some stuff can begin to take deeper root inside of who I am and I'm not knocked over by the first wind. Let him pull some weeds out so that the very life that's been planted on the inside of me and the life that's in the seed begins to grow and manifest itself. And it comes to fruition. And it produces. 
fruit. Father, I just want to thank you that you just love us so very much. We reverence and we respect you, Father. As the God of all. That we celebrate Christ in us. The hope of glory. I pray, Father, that you will begin to work in the lives of each person here. Or continue to work in their lives in a meaningful way. So that they begin to understand and have a deeper appreciation. A practical, experiential encounter with what it is to live from that space. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into truth. I thank you that you're the one who sows the seeds and you're the one who tends to the garden. And we invite you to touch each person's heart here today. I thank you for the weeds that you're pulling out. I thank you for the stones that are being thrown out. I want to thank you for the seed that's being sown on hard places. I thank you, Father, that I see a collection of people, a generation, ripe with fruit. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we bless you for a great week ahead. I thank you, Father, for every person right at the moment who may find themselves in a battle. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And I pray that as they separate themselves and get together with you, I thank you for the words of spirit and life that are put on the inside of them. I pray right now for anybody who's battling physically. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you paid the the price that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. Father, I just want to thank you that that's not just a truth, but it's a reality that we walk into. I want to thank you, Father, for the miraculous. I want to thank you for the supernatural. And I want to thank you, Father, that we move into a space where our world is filled with testimonies of the miraculous. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.